0: Good morning, guys. It is a joy to see you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, open to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2 is where we're going to begin this morning. We're going to pop around and look at a few passages as we kind of continue this morning through the morning. Uh, But we're going to begin in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah is one of the Old Testament prophets, one of the big, long books, which is much easier to find if you're just kind of flipping through. Uh, So Jeremiah chapter 2. I'm going to begin this in verse 13. We find in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God speaks to the nation of Israel and he says this to them. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Why do you guys pray with me this morning. Father God, we thank you immensely for your word. Thank you for that which you have revealed. We thank you for that which you have spoken. And Lord, I thank you that even in the midst of our rejection of you at times, even in the midst of those moments that we run off after other things, lesser things, Lord, that you still endure with us. That your love is never ceasing. Uh, that your love knows no end that your love and your grace always over and above and extend beyond anything we could ever imagine and father i pray in the midst of the different ways that we pursue love in the midst of different things that we pursue and run after lord i thank you that your love never ceases and father I pray this morning even as we look at some challenging topics lord i, allow, I ask that you allow us to see a fresh sense of hope a fresh sense of freedom and a fresh and even more powerful sense of your love this morning Father, we ask for these things this morning through your son and by your spirit. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Genesis 2. We're looking and continuing the topic of sexuality this week. As we continue this morning, I'll tell you guys, I was thinking back to uh, this week to junior high science class for me. All right. Uh, A day that was forever emblazoned on my mind. It was the day that we had our first dissection. All right. Uh, For us, my first little critter that I would dissect was of the amphibious kind. God bless that little frog that I named Clyde, all right? So, uh, God rest his little dissected soul, too, right at this point, all right? Uh, but I will forever remember that moment because for me, I think it was not coincidental at all, quite fitting that uh, my professor's last name in that class that I would have that dissection experience was Mr. Murder, all right? Incredibly fitting, right? Not only did he have the world's worst last name ever for a high school teacher of a science class, but he also had the world's worst ever unibrow known to man, all right? It was it was unlike anything I had ever seen, all right? The meatiness to it, the length to it, all right. We were convinced that he had to comb and gel that thing, all right. It was crazy, right? But it wasn't coincidental that for Mr. Murder and under his unibrowed observation, I would have my first dissection experience, right? I remember that day as if it were yesterday because the smell of formaldehyde is still emblazoned in my nostrils, right? And some of you guys who have had that experience, you know what I'm talking about, right? It was awful, right? And it wasn't just the smell. For many of us, it was the sights, right? As you would take a surgical scalpel and you would fillet open a frog, right? Uh, maybe for you it wasn't a frog. Maybe it was some other kind of critter for y'all, all right? For me, though, I uh, was incredibly squeamish, that whole class period, all right? I didn't faint like some others did, all right? There were those who fainted. There were those who absolutely just threw their guts out, all right? There were those that ran out of the class, couldn't finish the class, failed their dissection experiment, all right? And then there were others who just didn't eat lunch the rest of the day, right? Everyone had all kinds of experiences in that first dissection experience, all right? I'm going to tell you guys this morning, as we continue our series on culture that we've entitled Culture Matters, We're going to be finishing up really a kind of a two-part series we're doing kind of within the middle of this on sex, all right? We kind of began that last week looking at God's design for sexuality. How has God designed and intended sex to be experienced and to be walked in? So if you guys weren't with us this last week, I would highly encourage you guys to go back to listen through that podcast last week. It'll be up online. Uh, And this will kind of be a second part in that. And what we're going to do this morning, a little bit more challenging, is we're going to look at a series of sexual alternatives that our world offers us. And I want to kind of take those and compare them and contrast them back to what we said last week of what God designed in sex to be. We said last week that God designed sex to be a holistic exchange between whole persons. We said that sex was not just an element of a physical appetite, but it was an exchange, an experience in which we give our entire selves to someone else, right? Our heart, our emotion, our lives, right? Towards someone who was not broken, incomplete, or lonely, but towards someone who was a whole person one of the things we tried to say last week was that sex does not fix broken people. Sex does not fill empty people. Sex does not make lonely people not feel lonely anymore, right? That when sex gets added to the equation for those kinds of people, it actually becomes incredibly unstable and incredibly counterproductive in that sense, all right? We said that really sex is a union, physically speaking, between two people who are intimately knowledgeable of one another and committed to one another. And what we're going to do this morning as we look at sex is we're going to see a series of alternatives that our culture has put forward and said, how about these? And what I want to do this morning is absolutely fillet those open and show you guys what they really are. For some of us, there may be moments where we feel a little bit squeamish because I'm going to press in on these to an extent that we don't normally on a Sunday morning. All right. For some of us, we may feel incredibly guilty as we've been walking in and have made some mistakes in this arena. And what I want to say to you guys, as I said last week, is I don't want to be another voice that scars you, that makes you squeamish, or that confuses you, or even another voice that condemns you. And what I want to do is show you guys what these are and what they truly are compared to what God has designed sex to be. But even more, I want to show you guys the incredible sense of hope, freedom, and forgiveness that exists for each one of us. Because again, like we said last week, every single one of us has made mistakes in this arena. And as God looks at us, as he looks at our lives, he doesn't see lesser and greater sins. He sees that we've all fallen short of his perfection and his holiness and his glory. And so every one of us is in the same boat here. Every single one of us has made mistakes, and yet God's grace extends to every single one of us. So that's where we're going to go this morning. In many ways, I'm going to argue, you guys, as we begin and looking at Jeremiah 2, is that sexual sin is no different from any other sin. Sexual sin looks no different than any other sin whatsoever. Both really involve a two-step process that Jeremiah lays out, uh, or that God lays out to the nation in Jeremiah 2.13. Both involve two movements. One is a rejection of God and his ways. for the creation, the construction, and the taking of an alternative way. All right? Sin always involves a rejection of God and his ways that really lead to life. For the exchange and the grasping of alternative methods and ways that do not lead to life, but lead to death. Sexual sin is no different. I love Jeremiah chapter 2. God says to the nation, you have rejected me. That their sin was a rejection personally, an offense to to him himself. He says, you've rejected me. I wasn't enough for you. And so you ran after something else. And as you did that, you rejected me, the fountain of living waters. If there's anyone who gives life, if there's anyone who creates, it's God. And so what God is saying to the nation is, as you rejected me, you've rejected life. You've rejected that which satisfies, with that which invigorates, that which forgives, that which brings an abundance to life. You've left that behind as you've left me behind. And in exchange, what you've done is you've constructed something that was an alternative. Notice what he says in Jeremiah 2.13. He says, to hew out for yourselves cisterns, broken cisterns that could hold no water. Notice the incredible contrast there. God says, you've rejected me, the fountain of living waters, for broken cisterns that you made for yourselves that could hold no water whatsoever. They're broken and they cannot do anything that you think that they can do. And so sin, is in any kind of sin, is always that two-step movement. It's a rejection of God and his ways that lead to life for the exchange of something that is an alternative that follows outside of the ways of God and outside of a relationship with God for something that doesn't bring life whatsoever. And so really for us, as we walk through this morning, we're going to look through some topics that are really hard. And what I want to show you guys is how broken, how deadly and how they falsely promise you and I over and over again, all right? And then I want to show you guys over and over again really how God extends us incredible grace, incredible hope, and incredible freedom, all right? That's where we're going to go. In fact, if you have your Bibles, flip over now to Matthew, actually John chapter 8. We're going to kind of jump into John chapter 8. As Jesus is going to highlight for us really the first trap I think some of us can fall into, all right? And really Jesus is going to unfold for us in John 8, really the, the overarching banner I kind of want to put on all of the different things that we're going to look at this morning, all right? John 8, beginning in verse 3, uh, John records for us, uh, beginning in verse 3, that the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, uh, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, but what then do you say that we should do? All right. Imagine the scene for a moment, a woman who is having an affair, having a relationship, a sexual experience outside of the boundaries that God intended within a marriage relationship. She's caught in that very act and the nation of Israel grabs her, throws her into a public gathering immediately after that moment with the expectation and with the right that they would be ready and able to stone her, throw rocks at her for her death because that was the law of the Old Testament that a person caught in adultery would be stoned. And so Jesus is going to have an incredible response. But I want to use John 8 really to kind of set the stage for us and kind of give you guys a definition really of the first thing we're going to look at. The first thing I want you guys to see, the first, in a sense, sexual pitfall that befalls our culture and our group is adultery. That John is going to highlight for us a woman who's caught in adultery. But in a sense, for you guys, I want to define really what is adultery. How do you define adultery? Adultery. I'm going to define for you guys that adultery is a sexual experience outside of the boundaries that God intended sex to be experienced, right? Adultery is a sexual experience within a relationship, though, that is outside of the boundaries that God intended for sex to be experienced, right? See, sex is an incredibly beautiful thing, but when it moves outside of the boundaries, it becomes something very different. Uh, Some of you guys had the opportunity this very last evening who uh, were at Kyle Field, all right? Saw Johnny football's probably last game, maybe, at Kyle Field, all right? I was there. It seemed like the salute was a farewell moment. It was, it was sad, right? All of us are grieving and trying to deny the reality of what may be coming, all right? But you and I have had an opportunity over the last two years to watch something incredibly beautiful, all right? Uh, not to make too much of football, all right? But here we go, all right? Uh, Johnny, as he's darted in and out of linebacker's grasp, as he's uh, made one defensive lineman after another, incredibly frustrated and scored over 39 touchdowns this season, we've watched a beautiful thing, right? A beautiful thing, though, that has occurred within the boundaries of sidelines and between the boundaries of a whistle, right? I want to highlight for you guys and, and have you guys imagine with me for a moment, though. Imagine, though, that that beauty, imagine, though, if it were taken outside of the boundaries and what could happen, all right? Imagine for a moment last night, let's say, I'm going to give you guys a different ending to the game. Imagine for a moment that Johnny darts and dives and spins and jukes and uh, makes everyone look embarrassed, all right? And finally, toward the fourth quarter, imagine a linebacker who's had it with Johnny for the rest of the day and just wants to take him out. And imagine that Johnny runs out of bounds and three or four yards out of bounds after the whistle, this linebacker decides, I'm going to take Johnny's knees out, all right? Imagine that he hits Johnny and imagine Johnny goes down and Johnny tears his ACL, all right? So you had something that was beautiful within certain boundaries, but when it went outside the boundaries, it got incredibly dangerous, right? Now imagine not just the danger for Johnny who tears his ACL, not expecting he's going to get hit at that moment, but imagine the danger for that opposing linebacker as he tries to get out of Kyle Field alive, right? Right? You think this adulterous woman was in trouble? Imagine that opposing linebacker, right? From things I heard, I heard that Kyle Field immediately went under deconstruction last night, all right? I can imagine this opposing linebacker not getting out of Kyle Field alive but being buried under the debris that would be there for the rest of life, right? (laughs) So when you take something beautiful and you take it outside the boundaries, all of a sudden it gets incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. That's what adultery is. It's taking something incredibly good and beautiful within certain boundaries... And when it gets moved outside of those boundaries, it becomes not so beautiful anymore, but incredibly dangerous. Dangerous to the participants and dangerous even to spectators here, all right? John 8, Jesus is going to highlight the sin of adultery. That's going to be a bit of a banner for us over all of the sins and the sexual pitfalls we're going to look at this morning. And really what adultery is, is again, a sexual experience outside of the boundaries. And for many of us, we would go, hey, you know what? I understand extramarital affairs are sin, right? A person enters into a marriage relationship, they have a covenant with one another, they agree to be uh, uh, trusting and true to one another, and every single one of us would argue and we could see the kind of danger that comes when someone moves outside of that boundary of trust and has an extramarital affair. Every single one of us, and some of us have come from families where we've seen that happen and we've seen the carnage, we've seen the destruction, we've seen the lack of trust that's occurred in that marriage and even in the family. Every single one of us can argue that, right? Right? But what about, not after marriage and extramarital fears? but what about premarital, right? Uh, Every single one of us, and especially for you guys, you're not necessarily wondering and fearing the extramarital situation. But many of us are asking the question, what about sex before marriage? What about premarital sex? Many of us will argue, especially if this is the person I'm going to marry, what makes it so wrong, right? And the challenge is that almost counts for a lot of things, but it doesn't count for it in marriage, right? Almost graduated gets you a ring, right? Aggie ring, right? Almost graduated can even get you a job, right? Almost an A with a nice professor can get your grade rounded up, but almost married gets you nothing, right? Almost married gets you engagement, and for those of you guys who have been engaged, I congratulate you, and then I say, welcome to purgatory, all right? Because it's incredibly difficult, all right? It's an incredibly difficult phase and period of time. Andrew and Lindsay over there are laughing because they know exactly what I'm talking about, all right? What are we, 36 days away? What are we now, you know? All right. So, but engagement, incredibly difficult period of time, right? See, almost married doesn't get you much. It gets you engagement, which is a period in time that God really stretches and tests you. But almost married doesn't get you sex, in fact, I'm going to give you guys two scenarios in which almost married leading to sex and what it, where it leads to. Almost married and a sexual experience leads to one of two possibilities. Either you guys thinking you're going to get married will have sex, and then what ends up happening is that that relationship falls apart and then there's all kinds of bitterness, all kinds of trust, all kinds of hurt. And then you enter into a new relationship where you've got to explain that in the future, right? Here's the other option. Is that you end up marrying the very person that you think you're going to marry, the very person you have premarital sex with, all right? And here's the challenge that befalls you at that point in time. You guys get married, and then one of you guys begins to think, if they couldn't wait three months for me, in the midst even of engagement, to be married to me to have sex, then why am I confident or absolutely sure that they have the self-control and the discipline to wait on me and be true to me even within marriage down the road? See, for many of us, we go, hey, I'm going to marry this person. Surely it's okay. Surely it's okay. Maybe we're even engaged, right? I'm confident this is who God has for me. Why is it so wrong to engage in premarital sex? I promise you, in the midst of those moments, I've talked to the couples that have walked through that. What ends up happening on the flip side of that is this. The very lack of self-control, the lack of discipline to wait for three months for one that they knew they would be married to puts a voice in the back of the head wondering, will that person continue to wait and have the kind of self-control and discipline in marriage that they didn't have in engagement? And all of a sudden there begins to be a breakdown of trust, a breakdown of the safety and the security that a marriage needs, which is why the writer of Hebrews says this about marriage. He says marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Not the engagement bed, <laughs> not the dating bed, right? Not the extramarital bed, right? It's the marriage bed. The God created an incredibly beautiful thing called sex and he put it within the boundaries of a marriage relationship and anything outside of that is adultery, extramarital or premarital. It falls outside of the boundaries that God intended, right? And for many of us, I think it's an incredibly hard thing to begin to realize. And yet, I want you guys to notice what Jesus does to and with the woman here. Beginning in verse 7, notice Jesus' response to her. Verse 7, but when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, the audience keeps asking Jesus, hey, can we stone her? Can we stone her? What do you think we should do? Jesus says, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. I love Jesus' response here. The immense sexual sins that every single one of us has fallen into, every single one of us has had some kind of struggle with. Jesus says, hey, to, ev- to any of you who has no sin in this area, let you be the first to stone. And notice what the people do. Verse 8, uh, verse eight and again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground, and when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. Why the older ones? Some of you seniors who are in college have been walking with the Lord for a while, you know as a senior that you were more sinful than you thought you were even as a freshman, right? The more that we walk with Jesus Christ, the more we realize how far we have to go in reaching what he's called us to. How accurate we are in the sense of our own adequacies and our own struggles. And so it's the older ones that are the first to walk away. They realize they have no grounding, they have no standing to throw a stone at her, and so they walk away. Beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone with the woman and where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. You guys ask you two questions about how Jesus responds to this woman caught in adultery. One, does he condemn her? No. Right? He says, literally, I condemn you no more. Does he condone her sin, though? Also no. Right? He tells her, go and sin no more. He calls it for what it was, but then he instructs her and calls her and challenges her to walk in a whole different kind of light. I love Jesus' response here to all of us who have fallen in some shape or form in something that is going to be like adultery, potentially. Maybe not adultery itself. He says, look, (laughs) I have forgiveness that's available to you. And for you and I, I'm going to argue to you guys, whether you're in a dating relationship or not, no matter what your past looks like, I'm going to give you guys a few examples of, I think, some ways that we begin to build and begin to walk in the present in light of what adultery is, all right? First, for some of you guys, let me challenge you, experience forgiveness, all right? Uh, whether you know Jesus Christ this morning and you have a relationship with him or you don't, some of us have walked too far and crossed that line and we've gone too far and we know we have. And what I want to say to you guys, in the midst of those relationships that you've been a part in, there is forgiveness that's available. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, you can bypass the rest of this message because my message to you will be to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. All right? Uh, to realize what he's done on your behalf so that you could have a relationship with him and that he could, rewi- he could wipe the slate clean and begin afresh in your life. We get a sense of what virginity is and we think that once we've blown that, we have nothing else to come in the future. And what I love of what Jesus does is he offers incredible sense of forgiveness to us. That he dies in our place, he takes the penalty that should have been ours so that we could be forgiven and declared righteous, declared pure, declared in a right standing with him, declared not guilty. And yet the enemy comes and accuses us over and over again and replays for us our past mistakes, our past transgressions, and yet the death of Christ says once and for all, past, present, and future sins wiped clean. That if you know Jesus Christ, that's what Jesus has done for you, is that he's wiped your debt clean so that you could have a a new relationship with him. If you don't know Jesus this morning, that's where you begin today. You can begin there today. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, if you've already entered into that relationship for the first time, then let me say afresh. Again, for you, there's forgiveness available in this arena, right? For so many of us, we've got to realize that we re- may realize that Christ has forgiven us, but we don't realize that we can forgive ourselves, and we keep holding on to that, and that is a demonic ploy of the enemy, right? We've got to let that thing go and trust that Jesus has forgiven us and that we can begin anew. Second thing is, for you guys who are in a relationship, let me encourage you guys to begin to build some boundaries and think this thing through a little bit. For some of us, we've gone places and we've done things because we didn't have any sense of boundaries of what we thought was appropriate or wise. We seem to draw a line at intercourse and sexual intercourse and sex, but we go up until that, what's right or what's wrong. I want to challenge you guys really to draw some boundaries, whether you're beginning a relationship or whether you're in one right now and you've not had the conversation about what's going to be appropriate in your dating relationship. Let me give you guys a few ideas. One is, a, there's a, one idea that we've often thrown out is the idea of the three nothings, all right? Here's a set of boundaries for you, all right? The idea of the three nothings. One, never in a dating relationship do hands need to go anywhere below the neck and above the knees, all right? There's no reason for hands to go anywhere in that area in the midst of dating, all right? Or even engagement, all right? Second of all, clothes never need to come off in a dating relationship, all right? There's no reason in the midst of a dating relationship or even engagement that clothes ever need to come off, all right? The moment hands start moving in those areas and clothes start coming off, we're in trouble really fast, all right? And then thirdly, I'd say to you guys, nothing lying down. I don't know what it is, but there's something about lying down. It seems like gravity is suspended, all right? And hands kind of just start going everywhere, all right? So seriously, all right? Nothing lying down, no clothes coming off, nothing below the neck and above the knees. And if you can maintain those boundaries, it will be incredibly helpful, all right? see, fences are just fences. They're to be helpful to you, but they are not the law, right? They are not the solution. In fact, sometimes I'd argue that some of you guys need a a healthy dose of wisdom, right? Thinking through the environments that you find yourselves in in a dating relationship. If you continue to go too far, you continue to go beyond boundaries, and it's 1 a.m. behind a closed door with a movie that's incredibly boring, I'd say to you guys, no surprise you're having hard times, Right? It's no surprise that with a, a, a movie uh, that's boring at 1 a.m. when you're too tired to talk, you're, you're too bored to talk, that you start getting yourself into trouble, right? It's just the way that things unfold. I want to challenge you to begin to think through, especially if you've gone too far in this arena, hey, what are the situations that you're putting yourselves in? Sometimes you can have all the right boundaries, you can have all the right heartbeat in the world, but if you put yourself in the wrong situation, you're toast, you're a dead goose from the very beginning, or a dead frog, right? That's what's going to happen. Begin to think through that issue. In many ways, I want to highlight for you guys, and I want you guys to rethink through the way that premarital sex works. All right? Some of you guys, I'll tell you guys, I'm a city boy. I don't do rural very well, All right, but I'm going to try to do a campfire analogy here, so we'll try this out, all right? So, <laughs> If it botches, I apologize. All right? But a lot of us love to do the campfire thing, and we love to bring the giant thing of uh, lighter fluid, right? Uh, some of us have lost eyebrows and uh, hair on our hands because of getting a little too close to that issue, right? But we love the big, giant boom, right? In many ways, premarital sex is taking lighter fluid to a campfire, all right? There's a moment of incredible entertainment and excitement and fun, right? But the challenge is that that fire, so to speak, that relationship, so to speak, begins to need that lighter fluid over and over again just to keep going. The kinds of fires that last long are not the fires that are stoked constantly by lighter fluid, but the fires that are built and they continue by the long-lasting coals that burn deeply and they burn slowly, all right? In the midst of a dating relationship, the kind of relationship that's going to continue on down the road and going to progressively and f- fruitfully lead into marriage is the kind of relationship that's built on the coals that burn slowly and that burn deeply and not by the, pre, uh, by the lighter fluid of premarital sex, right? You guys have got to begin and rethink that thing through. It's, it may seem to have a kind of influence and impact on the relationship, but over the long haul, it's going to be incredibly problematic. In fact, you may find yourself wondering, do we have to continue to do this just to keep it going? And in that case, watch out. (laughs) Because what you're building into is a fire or a relationship that likely is not going to last. Because it's not being built on the right kind of foundation. Which is why for me, for you guys, it's not just about building boundaries, but it's about building the right kind of foundation in the midst of dating, right? Walking in purity and sex is not about just disengagement and avoidance, but it's also about the right inclusion of the right kinds of things. And so as you guys are dating, we said this a little bit last week as well, but as you guys are dating, I'd highly encourage you guys to begin to think through how do you begin to build the right patterns? How do you begin to listen? How do you begin to encourage? How do you begin to learn to communicate and to serve the person of the opposite sex in that dating relationship? And as you begin to know that person, serve that person, encourage that person, the foundation begins to get built for the kind of relationship that may very well just last. It doesn't need lighter fuel to continue on, right? Right? The kind of marriage that will get built, the kind of relationship that will continue is the kind of relationship that's built with a wise foundation, not with lighter fuel, right? So be really careful. Begin to rethink the way that works. And again, if you've gone too far, hey, <laughs> I love the fact that Christ is there to forgive, there to restore, and there to begin to work in a whole new way. You can begin a new today, all right? The past, again, does not determine the future. Where you've been does not determine where you have to go. You can begin a new a dating relationship in this regard, okay? For many of us, though, I'll tell you guys, junior high and high school for me was like a romantic barren wasteland, all right? Uh, I didn't get a lot of great dating opportunities, all right? So uh, I got married, so it all worked out, all right? But uh, at least junior high and high school, all right, it was uh, there was not a lot of uh, fruit in that arena, all right? Which I'll tell you guys, I in many ways, looking back and walking through, it was just incredibly depressed, all right? thinking, would I ever get married, right? Would there ever be someone who would come beside me and say, hey, you know what, what I see in God, how God's created you, how God's made you, I see something that's amazing, and I would love to walk with you the rest of my life. But as I walked through junior high and high school, I really, really saw that and began to really wrestle with, hey, what is God doing? Am I valuable? Am I worthy to be loved, all right? And in many ways, as I look back on those periods of time, I'll tell you guys, I'm incredibly thankful because I think God saved me from some series of bad decisions, all right? And so for you guys who are single or currently not in a relationship, let me tell you guys, see it as an opportunity. All right? See it as a period in time that God may be shaping you, molding you, directing you. All right? You don't have to stay single out of fear that you can't handle a relationship. But if you are not currently in a relationship, see it as an opportunity that God is going to work in you and do some things in you that is a great opportunity for God to be moving and working and preparing you. It's not a wasted time. It's not a time that God has no purpose in. It's not meaningless. It's very meaningful. It's very purposeful. And for many of us, we also recognize that really as we look at sexual pitfalls, the only sexual pitfalls we fall into are not the ones when we're in a relationship, right? There's all kinds of things that we can struggle with when we're not even in a relationship, right? And the second thing I want to highlight for you guys this morning is going to be in Matthew chapter 5. So flip over to Matthew 5. We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is going to highlight for us a different kind of adultery, so to speak, in in Matthew chapter 5. Notice what he says, beginning in verse 27. Beginning in verse 27, uh, Jesus says, uh, verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, <laughs> right? He refers back to uh, the Old Testament saying that they all recognized that sex was within the bounds of marriage. And so he says to them, you all know if you have sex outside of a relationship, it's against the law, you've broken the law. But then he ramps the law up. Notice what he does to them, continuing on to verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. <laughs> Whoa, right? And, you know, for many of us, we can keep certain external standards, right? But in the moment that those go internal toward our eyes or toward our heart, it gets a lot harder, right? Jesus takes this definition of adultery and he's going to extend it not just to the issue of a sexual experience within a relationship that might be outside of marriage, all right? But he's going to take that sexual experience or sexual satisfaction outside of a relationship, all right, to an issue known he will refer here to as lust, all right? I'm going to kind of highlight for you guys another topic off of lust uh, that I think is where lust often gets activated or where it gets to be lived out, and that's the issue of pornography, all right? Um, Not not a topic a lot of us love to think about, and one of the things I want to say from the outset is the text here in Matthew, uh, some of the quotes I'm going to give you guys this morning, will highlight over and over again that it is men who are lusting after women, all right? So let me say a couple things of that. One is, men are and were created in, to be visually oriented, all right? That's no condoning, that's just how we're wired, which is why lust is often a particular challenge for men, all right? I am going to say to you ladies, though, uh, not to check out right now, all right? Uh, because ultimately, one of the things we begin to see, is statistically speaking, of pornography, is that more and more women are struggling with that issue as well. Some studies say that 30% of women are struggling with internet pornography, all right? And I'm going to argue to you guys that really what lust and pornography is is not just an external action, but it's an issue of a disposition of the heart and the way that the mind works, which really means lust is not just an issue for men, but it's also an issue for women, right? We may lust in different ways. We may have a desire that we pursue in different ways and then looks different kinds of things, all right? But it's an issue that we all struggle with, all right? So really, though, what is lust or what is pornography? How do you, in a sense, define this thing, All right. We've been saying over and over again that adultery, so to speak, is a sexual experience outside the boundaries that God intended. So what is lust or pornography? I'm going to argue, guys, that it is an experience of sexual satisfaction, not just outside of the boundaries that God intended, but frankly, outside of a relationship, all right? All right, it's a sexual experience or satisfaction outside the boundaries that God intended and even outside of a relationship. What's fascinating is you think about pornography and lust and fascinating is not the right word, all right? And what's incredibly sad is the way that it's an incredible distortion of the original intent that God had for sex. It's going to distort the what, the who, the why, and the how of sex, all right? Specifically speaking, as you think about the who, that really, for many of us guys and girls, as we deal with lust and the different ways that it works itself out in our heart, lust really is a sexual uh, pursuit that really is devoid of a relationship really with someone we really don't know at all. Uh, For us men, as we think about internet pornography, really what lust and pornography is, is a sexual experience and satisfaction with absolutely, frankly, zero knowledge of the person, right? The knowledge of a person that we have as we engage in internet pornography is a knowledge of a person that is literally skin deep. We have no idea who these people are. You may not realize this, and this may be a bit shocking to some of you guys, but 60 to 80% of those that engage, not as uh, viewers of internet pornography, but as the actors or the ones that are taking it on as their lifestyle, their career, all right? 60 to 80% of those that we look at, all right, are those that actually were viciously and strongly abused sexually speaking as a child, all right? 60 to 80% of those that engage in this as their career are those that were incredibly abused as a child, which means they were treated as an object as a child. And they have no problem continuing on to be treated as an object, as an adult, right? The people that we often look at are the people that are incredibly broken, who are not whole in any way, shape, or form. I think for many of us, as we engage in that activity, we have no idea who we're looking at because really what we're wanting in that experience is not a relationship at all, right? We're wanting something that is about a sexual satisfaction without any elements of what a relationship is meant to be at all. We don't want to know the person. We don't want to be known in that experience. We don't want to serve. We don't want to be known. We don't, want to be, uh, we don't want to expose ourselves. We want something that is on our terms, when we want it, how we want it, at no cost, and with no necessary element of relationship. Right? C.S. Lewis is going to hit as hard as he says this, speaking about pornography and lust. He says that when we say of a lustful man prowling the streets that he wants a woman, strictly speaking, a woman is just what he does not want. He wants a pleasure for which a woman happens to be the necessary piece of apparatus. All right? Incredibly condemning moment, right? But as we begin to think about internet pornography, what we are pursuing and what we are engaging in is something that is beyond uh, the very boundaries of a relationship, not just the boundaries that God intended for sex. It's not about knowing and being known at all. It's about highlighting and identifying a sexual urge and satisfying it as easily and as simply and as mundanely as possible, Right? And it's beginning to reshape the very way that we view sex, the very way that we even experience sex, and we will take that baggage into a marriage, all right? It's fascinating. John Piper uh, wrote an article and released an article recently on his website, Desiring God, in which he labeled pornography the new narcotic, all right? Uh, What he had to say about pornography is fascinating. He's going to quote from a guy named Morgan Bennett as he begins to think about really how absolutely dangerous um, pornography is. Before I give you guys that quote, I want you guys to see one last time really what Jesus says, though, in verse 29 about pornography, right? He says that if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. He says, look, what adultery is is not just an external interaction, but it is a disposition of the heart and of the mind, even of the operation of the eyes, It's not an external thing, but it can even be an internal thing. And in light of that, notice his defense towards it, right? If your right eye is causing you to stumble in that way, tear that thing out and throw it away. Is Jesus taking an extreme response here? Is he really soliciting this, right? I'd argue, guys, in many ways that Jesus is being extreme here. Is he literally calling you and I to toss our eye out? I don't think so. Is he causing us and challenging us to wake up to see how absolutely dangerous this issue is in our life? Yes, right. Uh, In this article, in the New Narcotic, I want you guys to hear the, the comparison that we made between pornography and drugs. Notice this. Neurological research has revealed that the effect of internet pornography on the human brain is just as potent, if not more so, than addictive chemical substances such as cocaine and heroin pornography is as addictive if not more than cocaine and heroin. And he goes on and he says further, hang with me through some of this uh, kind of, it'll make sense here in a minute. But he says pornography by both arousing thereby creating the high effect that comes through dopamine that's in cocaine and by leading to an orgasm through masturbation that leads to the release that uh, comes through the effect of opiates that are found in heroin is a type of poly drug that triggers both types of addictive brain chemicals in one punch, enhancing its addictive propensity. You guys get that? <laughs> so you think about pornography, all right? Think about this. In our country, there are 2 million addicted users of heroin. There are 2 million addictive users of cocaine, 4 million total, cocaine, heroin, all right? In terms of internet pornography, and I think these numbers are incredibly low, but we know safely speaking, conservatively speaking, there are at least 40 million addicted users of pornography, all right? 4 million in cocaine and heroin, 40 million in internet pornography, right? It's 10 times as many, right? If not more. Which really means, in terms of the addictive impact of pornography, it's 10 times more addictive than cocaine and heroin, right? I think for many of us, we have no idea the way this thing is working in some of our lives because it is addictive by nature and is drawing us further and further and further in. And as it draws us further and further in, it ramps us up deeper and deeper to something more and more explicit just to continue to satisfy us, right? Um, what's fascinating is when you look at this research is, is that it's not just addictive. This is what's really eye-opening for me as I was reading through this article. I knew of was addictive element, but it's also incredibly destructive. It is going to begin to literally reshape the way that your brain works. It begins to literally change your physiology, all right? Notice the quote as he continues on. He says that it is literally pornography changes the physical matter within the brain so that new neurological pathways require pornographic material in order to trigger the desire-reward sensation. It's addictive. It continues on. And so in order to get that trigger, in order to get that sensation, in order to get that pleasure, you need more and more of it, and it needs to be more and more graphic, and it continues to escalate in terms of its addictiveness so that it continues to do something not just addictive but destructive. These neurological pathways eventually become the trail in the brain's forest by which sexual interactions are routed. Thus, a pornography user has unknowingly created a neurological circuit that makes his or her default perspective toward sexual matters ruled by the norms and the expectations of pornography. What are the norms and the rules of pornography? You can be sexually satisfied without needing a relationship and you don't have to serve or give anything towards it, right? And it can offer more and more and more. You take that experience, you take that circuitry into marriage, and you're going to have a big problem. <laughs> because sex, as God designed it, is something that requires incredible discipline, self-control, willingness to serve, because it is not primarily about you. What pornography and masturbation teaches us is that we can be sexually satisfied and served whenever we want, however we want, at no cost, at no risk, at no sense of vulnerability. It's not about a relationship at all, right? And it's beginning to completely change the way that we relate to one another. It's beginning to change the way that we even enter into marriage and we enter into dating. If you don't believe it from Piper, I'm going to give it to you from John Mayer, all right? This is what he says about his own pornography experience, all right? He says, pornography is a new synaptic pathway. Pornography has absolutely changed my generation's expectations. How many women has he dated and gone through, right? How it does not affect the psychology of having a relationship with somebody. It's got to, right? It's got to completely change the way that we interact with one another, he's saying. What that explains is that I am more comfortable in my imagination than I am in actual human discovery and actual human experience of sex, right? Wow. (laughs) Wow. For some of us, we are frankly way more comfortable behind a computer than engaging in a relationship at all with the opposite sex, (laughs) And what pornography and what some of the struggle has done in some of our lives, it is so reduced our interpersonal skills. We don't know how to engage the opposite sex. We don't know how to listen. We don't know how to serve. We don't know how to encourage. And we are building a system and a neurology of our minds now that says sex is all about us. So that we can get what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. All right? And we've bought into a horrific lie that is not just addicting us, but it is destroying us. Absolutely destroying us. I think for so many of us as we think about this arena as we think about it we we know that it's incredibly addictive we know that it's incredibly dangerous but it's not broken the issue for us right? for so many of us we feel like we are now in a struggle that is absolutely choking our very life and we may want out but we cannot get out (laughs) I may throw you statistics I may throw you quotes and I may garner your attention but the issue for so many of us is we feel like this issue this struggle is one that absolutely constrains us chokes us and condemns us all right And what I want to do for you guys is give you a sense of hope and freedom and not just be another voice that condemns you guys. Flip over, if you will, to Romans chapter 6 real quick. We're going to kind of wrap up here. Romans chapter 6 this morning. Romans 6. For me, as I walked through college with different struggles I had in all areas of my life, Romans 6 has always been a section that I came back to like a holy grail, all right? It was home base. It was where I came back that was safe, All right. Uh, I, I love what Paul will say in Romans chapter 6 because it is absolutely the very message of freedom and hope that we so desperately need. Notice what he says beginning in verse 5, chapter 6 of Romans. He says, Paul writes, For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, speaking of Jesus. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. What, what Paul is saying in Romans 5 is that if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection on a cross, and you have been united with him in his death. His death is your death. All right? You don't have to die because he died for you. And not only have you been united with him in his death, but you've also been united with him in his resurrection. His life is also your life. So he goes on in verse 6 and he says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Paul's saying, look, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, your sin, your record of sin, your record of transgressions has been done away with. It's been tossed away. His death covered your sins. Your death it does not have to be lived out in that same fashion anymore. You are not guilty anymore. But it's not just that the death of Christ forgives us of the penalty of our sin. What I love about Romans 6 is the way it ends in verse 7. For he who has died is freed from sin. The beauty of Romans chapter 6 is it's not just that Christ has died for the penalty of our sins, but Christ has died for the power of sin as well. That if you know Jesus Christ, you've not just been united with him in his death, but you've been united with him in his resurrection as well. Which means it's not just that his death is yours, but his resurrection is yours, which means his power is yours as well. Which means the accusation of sin that comes at you in the midst of your transgressions does not have to come at you anymore. Because Jesus says, I died for that. It is done away with. Don't keep bringing it up. And yet for you and I who know our transgressions, and we know that Christ has redeemed them, for some of us we feel so caught up and enslaved to the struggles that we have. and why I love Romans 6 more than any other passage, probably of the New Testament. Because Romans 6 says you can be freed from that struggle. You are not powerless against that struggle. He ends it in verse 12. Notice what he says at the end in verse 12. He says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its lust. And it comes back to the topic of lust, right? Do not let sin reign. Do not let it control you so that you obey and you play its puppet, right? You are not its puppet anymore if you know Jesus Christ. If you've been united with him in his death, you've been united with him in his resurrection, which means... That sin that seems to constrain you and choke you and control you, it does not have to do that anymore. Today is a day of freedom. Today is a day of hope because you do not have to be enslaved to that. It does not have to continue to dictate to you how you live. All right? There's nothing more freeing. There's nothing more hopeful than that. Knowing that Jesus has paid the penalty for it, it does not have to accuse you anymore. And Jesus has freed you from it. It is not your master. It does not dictate to you because the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus is more powerful than anything that you're struggling with. I want to challenge you guys as you think about some of these issues that for some of y'all, uh, you guys, you need to wake up and you need to walk out. You need to wake up that this thing is killing you. Right? I know we are all guys visually oriented, but that is no excuse. It is not a con- It is not condone why you struggle. Right? You are making a choice, and today I'm going to challenge you guys, put this thing down. Get an internet filter, confess it to somebody, come out, and they open with it, and if you cannot handle that that freedom of an internet connection without falling to it, then you need to give that connection and that laptop away today, right? Do not let convenience and do not let environment dictate to you the choices that you have at your disposal. Choose to walk in a different way today, all right, and walk out, and you can. To you ladies, let me come back and say to y'all in uh, a whole different note, I know that some of you guys may struggle with that in terms of online pornography, what you are looking at with your eyes, but I think for a lot of you guys, the internal battle of lust is desiring something that you're not in a relationship with. For some of you guys, it's an issue with a relationship that you are dreaming and infatuated by, about and your mind is going way overboard beyond what is reality. I want to challenge you to not just have discipline like the guys need with their eyes, but for you to have a discipline with your mind to say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to continue to stalk on Facebook. I'm not going to continue to run over my mind and have conversations with my friends about a relationship with a guy. I don't know if he even knows my name, right? All right? For you girls, you can go places emotionally with your heart that are beyond really what is reality in a relationship. Also, let me say to you ladies as well, on a flip note, in terms of where your mind and your heart may go, let me say to you, you are beautiful, all right? Our culture says, here is the picture and the standard of beauty. And internet pornography takes that ball and they run 90 yards down the field with it, right? And because of that issue, it has begun to shape in you how you see your bodies, how you see yourselves. And let me say to you all this morning this. God has made all things beautiful, all right? Maybe not us guys, all right? But you ladies, y'all are beautiful, all right? And I don't care what a guy says to you. I don't care what magazines say to you. I don't care what internet pornography is peddling and putting forward. It is all a lie. And you are absolutely beautiful just the way God has made you. And so you do not need affirmation from that. And you need to stop comparing yourself because you are beautiful as you are. God has made you wonderful. Wonderfully made, the psalmist will say in Psalm 139. He made you perfectly. All right. And you don't need to continue to compare yourself to other standards because they're junk. And frankly, most magazines aren't even a realistic person of the person who's on the cover. They've been airbrushed and it's not even real, right? We're comparing ourselves not even to real people now, all right? So let me say to you ladies, trust the Lord, trust his word, trust his handiwork in your life. He's made you just as he intended you to be and you are beautiful just as you are. And the kind of guy that you want that's going to walk with you and love you will be the kind of guy that will love you as you are not as you're trying to be, right? That's the guy that you want. You want a guy that's not running after pornography, looking for a certain model of what beauty is. You want a guy who looks at beauty as God intended it, right? With a whole different standard. Because what he's truly after is not a body that's skin-deep knowledge, but he's after a heart and a mind that loves the Lord and wants to walk with the Lord. That's my hope and my heartbeat for you guys. We are out of time this morning. We have a whole other issue on uh, homosexuality. And so one of the things I say to you guys this morning as we wrap up real quick is uh, in terms of the issue of homosexuality, a few years ago we did a whole talk on that topic. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? Uh, And I tell you guys, we had a whole morning to hit that topic, right? We've run out of time this morning, all right? But I highly encourage you guys, you can find that podcast online. We did it a few years ago. Great topic to run back to. I highly encourage you guys to do that. What I want to do this morning is kind of just close us in prayer. All right. I want you guys to have an opportunity to come before the Lord. And I want you guys just to, uh, as you guys, as we come and we pray this morning, my hope and my heartbeat is that you guys will have a chance this afternoon to pull away and say, hey, Lord, (laughs) we've looked at a lot of different stuff. From adultery to pornography, even homosexuality. There's some really tough stuff. And I've come, uh, in many ways, maybe making you guys a little uncomfortable. One of the things I hope you guys have seen and heard, though, is there's great hope, there's great freedom, there's great forgiveness, no matter where we are, no matter where we've fallen, no matter where we've gone. And my hope and my heartbeat is that you guys will have an opportunity later today to really come before the Lord and say, Hey, Lord, what is it you have for me to hear? Where is it you, you want to lead me? Where is it you want me to see? Where is it that you want me to live in a new kind of way, in a different kind of way? Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for the amazing gift of sex. I thank you for what you've created. I thank you that there is no alternative that comes close to holding a candle to it. And, Father, as we wait on that uh, appropriate boundaries that we'll get to step into one day, Lord willing, Father, I pray that you'd allow us to wait in wisdom, to wait in purity, to wait in uh, godliness. With a faith that would trust you, a faith that would trust the handiwork in our lives that you've done, whether we're in a relationship or not, whether our body looks one way or not. And, Father, I pray for some of us, Lord, whether we are falling into things that we ought not fall, Lord, I pray that you give us a sense that today can be a new day. That tonight does not have to be dictated by what we've been doing all weekend, Lord. But you can walk, you can lead us into a whole different kind of experience. And Father, I pray that you give us the courage to come before you, the courage to confess, the courage to believe and to trust that you can do something different in us and through us. Father, we love you. We thank you that your love for us, your grace for us, knows no bounds and it constantly surprises us. And Father, I pray that your voice in our lives would be not one of just condemnation but it would be one of conviction and then one that would call us forward to something new. Lord, help us to see you as beautiful. Help us to see that what you offer and what you put before us is the greatest thing that we could ever experience and that all alternatives are cheap knockoffs, Lord. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your son and by your spirit. Amen. All right, guys. It's great to see you all this morning. We'll see you guys next week. Y'all have a great week, all right?